This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Kreuzer, or welcome. So, Garen, it is the morning here in the UK. I've had my breakfast. I'm ready to attack the day. Um, you are somewhere very, very dark because you are quite literally on the other side of the world. Yeah, so I had my breakfast a good... Actually, I don't really have much breakfast today. I was a bit late for the ride. But, yeah, I've, I've attacked my day and my day's almost over, Tom. Well, it literally is because the sun's gone down. And it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm in New Zealand, Queenstown. Very nice country, you're not going to lie. Very nice. Yeah, I've been a few places already. Lake Tekapo, ever been there? Yes, yeah, I have. It's a big lake, it's very nice. Some cracking scenery. Been up to Mount Cook. As we were leaving there, the car wouldn't start. Immobilizer service, something uh, or other was popping up. We were thinking, oh, here we go. Top of some mountain, trying to get to Wanaka, I think you say it. You do. So luckily got it going though, so I got on Google. I rang the... the uh, it's Mitsubishi bloody whatever it's called hotline. They were like, "Oh, you got to ring your car dealer." Ring them. Obviously, the woman there doesn't have a clue what I'm going on about. <laughs> but anyway, so I was on Google. She sorted it. Basically, I had to just get out of the car, leave it for ten minutes, and then it started. So, cars these days, Tom, unbelievable, complicated, aren't they? Whatever happens, just a key. <laughs> yeah. There's a theory, G, that New Zealand is just Wales, but with the scale turned up to fifty. To be fair, my first ride, it was, I really did feel like I was in Brecon Beacons. Like this, you know, the trees and sort of like the landscape and everything. Yeah. But Queenstown and Wanaka, definitely, I don't really get that feel of Wales anymore. Not that Wales isn't beautiful. It's not very Merthyr Tidver, is it? No. Like just the, they're not really mountains, are they? But they're definitely um, bigger hills than, I don't know, I've, I normally see in Wales. Nice big lakes and good riding. Yeah. Um, it's nice riding on different roads. And I had good company this morning as well. Met two local guys from Wanaka. Did you? Yeah. Two uh, big fans of the pod, I hear. So one was an Olympic rower who won. Superb. What were their first names? Uh, Nathan was the rower. He won Olympic gold in London mm-hmm. and also went to um, Athens and Beijing previously, but didn't win anything. So. Nailed it, third time round. And the other guy was Richie, first name. Ah. Richie, you say. When you say Richie and you are in South Island, New Zealand, my thoughts um, obviously turn towards uh, a former All Blacks captain who is based in the same neck of the woods. Was it, by any chance, another sporting legend? It was, Tom. It was. Oh, Richie McCaw. So, um, wow. Yeah, pretty special to meet him, to be fair. And he's strong on a bike, I'm not going to lie. Like... I had quite a big session yesterday thinking, you know, I'm going to meet up with Richie and this rower and we'll have a nice sort of three hour ride and stop for a coffee and, you know, a bit of a chat and then I'll ride on to Queenstown and, you know, whatever. Oh man, we, we started, I was doing like 350, 400 watts, which, you know, is, is pushing because they're heavy roads here, a bit of windy. It wasn't too hilly, but oh, yeah, they can... Uh, they were like sort of tag teaming me though. So we were riding two <laughs> abreast. So I was next to Richie, say. Then after half an hour, he changed with Nathan. 
and he like keep going. I was like, bloody hell! I've, I was thinking, I've got three hours of this. How am I going to get through this? As I say, I I didn't even. Well, what did I have for breakfast? I think I had a coffee because I was a bit running a bit late, you know. So um, yeah, good training, but uh, they were a lot better, a lot stronger than I uh than I thought they'd be. I imagine Nathan was all engine as a former rower. He's not going to be struggling. He'll be the diesel on the front of your little trio there. Yeah, yeah, but but Richie was strong as well though. Like he? he's obviously shed a bit of weight. He's still ninety odd kilos, but yeah, I, I was expecting him to be a bit bigger. But obviously, yeah, I, I guess he's not pounding the the gym anymore. But yeah, he don't have put out some watts on the old bike though. I reckon if he shaves his legs. There'll be time. There'll be teams lining up to sign him. <laughs> Did you tell him that he was very lucky to win the World Cup in 2011 on home soil? Because um, if Wales hadn't been robbed in the semi-final against France, you would have beaten him. We did briefly speak, not quite those exact words, but uh, about that whole situation. Yeah, I said he was even luckier in 15. But um, no, yeah, it was it was great to meet him and Nathan, to be honest. And uh, so yeah, decent decent ride and. Another good day in uh, in New Zealand ticked off, but Queenstown apparently is the uh, bungee capital of the world, and people are trying to talk me into doing it. I'm really not keen. That's like my worst nightmare, like possible. You've never done one, no, mate. Uh, that it'd be my worst. It'd be my biggest fear, without a doubt. That's why you should do it. That's exactly why you should do yeah, it. That's why I should just go on my bike and then just I don't know, go down some whitewater rapids <laughs> or something, something I'd enjoy, not just. <laughs> absolutely crapping myself about jumping off some stupid bridge dunking into some water or even <laughs> the bigger one whatever it's called nevis or whatever it's called. oh my god so that big one um there's different ways you can jump off it so it's the biggest free fall in the world i think it's not the bridge span one it's one somewhere else where you do it almost from like a little it's not quite a cable car but it's like a platform over a massive gorge yeah that one and I remember doing that one and I said, what's the weirdest, what's the scariest way to do it? And they said, oh, what you've got to do is you've got to do something called a pin drop where rather than diving out, like you're coming off your, your Tom Daly off a high board, you've got to put your arms by the, by the side and just jump off like that. And I was like, mm, sounds all right. So I, I jumped off like that and then they show you pictures afterwards. And in my head, I kept my arms by my side for forever. And I just plummeted into the abyss. Oh. And then you look at you look at the photos, and I'm probably about three feet below the platform, and my arms are up around my head, going. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness me! But what? There's got what, what? Are you scared of anything? Yeah, I was scared of it. That's why I thought I should do but it. But that's your worst fear. Nothing more. No, my worst fear would probably be eaten by giant spiders. But that's less easy to do in <laughs> Queenstown. Uh, yeah, you are a bit special, aren't you, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> you are on the other side of the world because you did the tour down under recently and I uh, believe you bumped into quite a few Aussie listeners there and Kiwi listeners in your time in New Zealand so far. Yeah, I was, well, I say surprised, but obviously it's one of the best podcasts around, but a lot of people <laughs> mentioned it and one couple actually rec or knew Sarah was my wife only because they recognised Max. So, <laughs> That's so funny. Um at the stage finish, they came over, said hello to Sam, whatever, explained they only knew it was her because they recognised Max. And then, yeah, they came over to me, said they loved the pod, loved my Aussie accent as well. Dingao, TDU, mate. You're making um, this up. Absolutely loved it. So, <laughs> no, they're obviously, <clears throat> they're obviously just being very kind. But, um, no, yeah, a lot, a lot of listeners out there, which uh, I didn't realise. So, 
yeah cheers guys hope you're enjoying this is so harsh on Sar, a, a successful woman in her own right who is now being defined not only by one man that she's in a relationship with but a three-year-old man she's in a different sort of relationship with <laughs> yeah and it's not like we put loads of photos of him out out there either it's a couple with a back of his head but yeah no so that was great actually and we met a few i think we put it on social media didn't we there was um i can't remember his name now but there was a guy in full gtcc kit which was nice so obviously i had to go over and have a quick chat with him a little picture commitment i like it superb and at the at the tdu you were riding with today's guest yes so um part of the team there he won the white jersey for best young rider fourth overall extremely talented very promising future he's well i'm sure he'll go into it in the pod but american slash norwegian magnus sheffield great to be riding alongside him obviously I would have liked to have been riding alongside him a little longer and not dropped as early as I was on the last day. But, you know, these things can't be helped. Right, let's get him on. Let's do it. We all love coffee, don't we, G? Never do this pod without one, Tom. Or a ride, actually. Yeah, there is nothing better than a quick coffee for a cold winter ride or before hopping on Zwift. So, I know we'll both be delighted with the next sponsor of this podcast, Origin Coffee. Also, there is a cheeky discount code we've got for all our listeners. Origin Coffee are one of the leading brands on the coffee scene, and they get just how much cyclists love coffee. And get this, Tom. Origin's director of coffee... Freda is a three times UK cup tasting champion. Not once, Garrett, not twice, but three times. That is pretty impressive. Would you like another great fact? All online orders are roasted and shipped the very same day. Super speedy, just how we like it on this podcast. They also have a rewards program, so customers like you and me can earn points and get cash back every time we shop online. So why not try one of their delicious espresso blends or an interesting single origin coffee? There are so many profiles to try, and all the coffee comes in home compostable bags. So if you want to order some Origin Coffee and get a massive 30% off, just go to origincoffee.co.uk and use the code GTCC30 at checkout. That's the code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy! Our guest today is one of the bright young talents who's pushing me towards inevitable retirement, Tom. Annoyingly, he seems to be good at everything. One day races, cobble classics, stage races, time trialing, cyclocross, track. He's definitely the future where I'm sort of more and more turning into the past. <laughs> but welcome to the GTCC, my American teammate, Magnus Sheffield. Thank you for having me, G. Thanks for coming. Only 15 minutes late, but Dave Dave kept us waiting a lot longer, didn't he, Tom? So we're not going to hold did. it against you. Yeah, But um, no, appreciate you coming on. Jump straight into it. Your family dynamics is, well, I didn't even know about this, really. So yeah, in Denmark, Magnus won the time trial, Tom. And then he goes to do all the press afterwards. Next thing on the telly, and he's speaking like, I assume, Danish, but it turned out it was Norwegian. And he's having this full-on conversation post-interview in, well, Norwegian. And I was like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> and um, 
Well, it turns out your mum is not. Well, you can tell. You can you can tell. Yeah, yeah. My mom, she's from Norway, uh, and so is the her entire side. So my brother lived there for quite some time, and yeah, I still have all my immediate family there: my cousins, uncles, aunts, my past uh, grandparents. But no, I grew up uh, going to Norway quite often over the summertime for yeah the holidays, and I have yeah some of the best memories of my childhood there. So. I feel quite proud to, yeah, I'm half Norwegian, half American. Uh, my dad's from the U.S., but uh, yeah, that a Norwegian heritage is really important to me. And yeah, the Danes are quite funny as well. It is, yeah, part of Scandinavia, so we can understand each other more or less. And I think it's a bit easier actually to read Danish than it is speak Danish. Right. But that <laughs> is fun doing tour of Denmark. It was almost like a home race in that sense after tour of Norway earlier this year. Yeah, because I was like, I just kind of saw Magnus as this um, stereotypical American, you know, before you even meet him, you just think, oh, because you, before you joined the team, you joined in 2021. Yeah. So 2020, before he came on to the team, saw like he'd won, or no, set the new world record for the individual pursuit as a junior. So obviously knew he was like this super talent from America. You just have, just thought you were the next Taylor Finney, basically. Absolutely nothing like Taylor Finney. But, I don't uh, have the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about the the IP, because Tom, another thing about Magnus, he teaches me about aerodynamics oh. and this and that. Like, mate, oh, I've yeah, so many steps ahead of me. Like for me, I'm just kind of like, tell me what to wear, and I'll just go and just push hard on the pedals and see where I end up with the additional gilet. Yeah, I was, I was about to say <laughs> that is one thing. <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilet I, I thought you were actually when I saw it on the telly, I was, I was, I remember it vividly. I'm like, what is this new like arrow like <laughs> secret that she's been keeping from the whole team? Oh. And then little did I know, it was a complete accident. Yeah, it's just an extra small gilet that I forgot I had on. But um, yeah, so you know about like um, oh, what are those letters like? F, no, not FTP. Everyone knows that one, but like you know dragging all this and all these equations and cda cda that's the one he knows all about this what's cda coefficient of drag so it's numerical value that you can use to define the drag or the i'm not exactly sure there's multiple different ways how to measure cda but in short terms it just is a value that gives you how much drag you're putting out relative to the power or speed so lower the number the better really the more arrow you are exactly the more slippery you are tom okay so but in in romandy i had magnus ethan hater and plappy all telling me all these random facts and stuff i was like blimey charlie yeah i should study up some on some of this but that ip record though that was what time did you do uh four oh no sorry three oh six Four four two, for three k, Tom, three oh six from a standing start. Yowch! I think my best when I was a junior was a three twenty, maybe. Whoa. But they were on Schnelli Angel bars, and you know, <laughs> there was no CDA involved in that. Wait, wait, but, say that again, Schnelli. Schnelli, Schnelli. What did I say? Schnelli. Did I say Schnelli? <laughs> it's an Italian brand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schnelli. Look, he's he's he lives everywhere. <laughs> he has. He has a place in Andorra, but... No, no, no. One of my first... The only reason I know this is because one of my first road bikes was a Cinelli. A Cinelli superstar. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Learning something new again, Tom. 
So did you, Magnus, it sounds like you actually got into bike riding quite late, that there was another sporting passion yeah. that took over most of your younger days. Yeah, my mom being from Norway, I think it's only natural that I started out uh, ski racing. Uh, although the area that I grew up in, in upstate New York, the alpine skiing is quite a bit more popular than cross-country or Nordic skiing. Uh, but yeah, that was a, something that I'd started out quite doing quite young. And then yeah, I thought for quite a quite a bit of my childhood that was something that I was going to try to do as a career and uh, yeah after school but uh, that eventually found me to yeah start cycling and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And when you say Nordic skiing is that cross-country skiing? Yeah yeah exactly. So the- okay well this is making a bit more sense then. I was imagining you was like a downhill skier. No 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 so I did. He did both. So I grew up doing downhill. I can Nordic ski but, and that's what like the Norwegians are predominantly known for and uh, dominating the sport. But no, it, the area that I grew up was was better for alpine or downhill skiing. Okay. So does CDA matter if you're a downhill skier? <laughs> yes and no, but I think it's a, a, we have a lot more discussions about uh, the the waxes and the uh, the floros that you'd put on your the base of your skis than like the skin suit. But I think now, like in the downhills, they're definitely, yeah, taking a lot of technology and learnings from F1 and even probably cycling and implementing it in ski racing. Okay. Are you still allowed to go skiing? Because as G says, you're based in Andorra, aren't you? I don't know if there's team rules about skiing being seen as too dangerous for a prized young rider. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, that's a bit in the gray area, I think, with the team. Uh, Probably uh, someone like G you wouldn't want to put out on the slopes, but no, definitely not. Especially because I haven't skied before, but they didn't mind Edvald back in the day because they know he grew up skiing. Um, So Magnus has as well, but it's probably better just to say no. And then, you know, he probably does then a bit on the side, but but as I was saying, you, you, you travel around a lot. Like, just briefly now, since, say, start of October, tell us all the main cities you've been to. Yeah, so after uh, the world's in, in end of September, I spent a week in Sydney, uh, and then I went back to my parents' house in New York. And then, yeah, I was fortunate enough to do some events, uh, and it, yeah, the off-season kept me busy, but then I was in San Francisco, uh, Nice. I then spent a few weeks in Japan, so I got to see Tokyo, Kyoto, Takasaki, Lake Kawaguchi, Mount Fuji. Yeah, I had a lovely experience in Japan and felt really welcomed by the people there. And then after that, I went back back to my parents in New York. And then I went to Miami. And then, yeah, I was in Palma before our team camp. So I definitely uh, racked up some miles. Yeah. Hope you got a club card for <laughs> whatever airline it was. Yeah. No, I definitely... Yeah, I, I would say it's nice to go home, uh, and I really enjoyed yeah, spending time with the family, but then I still get a bit antsy, or like I'd like to not be uh, stay put in one place for too long. When you said New York, then you turned very like New York, New York, <laughs> New York. Do you, do, you, do you speak like that when you go home? No. I bet you uh, do, don't you? I think my family actually is giving me, yeah, a bit of a hard time because I've started speaking a bit like you guys. Uh, <laughs> With, yeah, cheers, mate, and <laughs> all this sorts of thing. But no, um, where I grew up in New York, it's quite a bit different than yeah. the Bronx. 
<laughs> and did you grow up, I guess, with that sort of terrain, Magnus? Were you on mountain bikes? Were you riding cross bikes as much as road bikes? Yeah, I kind of got into cycling uh, with the mountain bike. It was, yeah, my mom and I that got super into it. And I think it was just like a friend of ours that kind of recommended cycling as like an, a thing to do in the off season to stay fit uh, in the summertime and to prepare for the winter. But to be honest, Don, like I think we did more just walking with the bikes than <laughs> riding because just how technical the trails were. But now like I've gone back and ridden them and it's like, it's nothing. Uh, it's just single track. But at the time it was incredibly difficult for both her and I. And then, yeah, uh, from the mountain bike, I started getting to racing some cyclocross and that's what opened the door to racing in Europe. I think I came over for the first time when I was 14 or 15 doing some of the the, the cremesses in Belgium. Mm. And then the following winter, I did a lot of the World Cups with the national team. And then, yeah, I started getting really interested in road cycling. So I joined a team it based in New England that a lot of other Americans that had eventually made it into the world tour they grew up with on the East Coast. But yeah, it wasn't until then that I really kind of got really interested in road cycling. And then... I got to do the Junior Worlds in Yorkshire, of all places. Um, Did it rain the day you were racing as well? Absolutely pissing rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I like. I think when I was a junior that first year, I got to ra I got to spend quite a bit of time in Europe, and yeah, all my childhood I've spent a lot of time traveling. Uh, first, just going back to Norway, like my first passport, my parents were holding up just like a blob because <laughs> you couldn't even differentiate what. Yeah, what child they were holding. That's like Max's, yeah. Max's <laughs> photo of his passport. He's like four months, no, four weeks old. Yeah, yeah. So now when we're traveling, he's three. We're just like, oh, what's the point in this? <laughs> yeah. He's just like this big fat round thing that can't even open his eyes properly, you know? <laughs> exactly. No, I really enjoy traveling and seeing the world. And I think it yeah, has kind of helped shape me into the person that I am. And I think it's, yeah, one of the best gifts or something that people I wish everyone had the opportunity but I think it's yeah it's an incredible experience to be able to see different different places but also meet so many different people I don't take this the wrong way or but I think it'd be a compliment but you're not like a typical American like <laughs> I, I don't do know if that's good that? or bad <laughs> no like for us like a stereotypical American just you know dead brash and loud and like hey y'all you know but like Teo could be American and like <laughs> But, um, yeah, you seem a lot more, like, cultured. Is that, I hope that's not offensive but to other Americans. <laughs> but, you know, you've, you've been around a lot, you know. You've seen a lot. And uh, you've definitely got a wise head on his shoulders. Tom, you know, like, some kids, or kids, some, like, 19, 20-year-olds in uni, they seem that age, you know. They are that age, whereas Magnus definitely seems older than he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think that's definitely going to stand him in good stead because for the rest of his career, really, because this last year you won two races, three. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So you won the stage of Ruta or somewhere else mm -hmm. in Spain. Then you won Bram and Sapel, which was the, a big, big bike race. And then that stage in, in Denmark and the American scene is a bit, seems to dried up a little. Like, are you big? Like do many Americans know you? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a surprise, like when I went back to the US this off season and I yeah, I got to see my parents, but also kind of some of the people that I got into cycling. Like I think 
it was really nice to see all these people, but also meet a lot of people that I hadn't known and they kind of knew about my success. So I think that felt really nice knowing that what I was doing here, it, it does matter and mm. people are definitely seeing it back at home. And yeah, I think cycling in general, it, you see these ups and downs, it's like these waves. But I definitely think right now we're on an upswing where you see a lot of other riders, especially from the US. Yeah, Matteo, there's Nielsen, uh, Quinn. Uh, there's a lot of really good guys in World Tour teams that are being that are successful. Yeah, it's really nice to be around these other guys as well. Speaking about one of them for a sec, Matteo Jorgensen. Hmm. That doesn't sound very American either. Does he have half someone else as well? Yeah, it's funny. I think so. Matteo and uh, Matthias Norsgaard, they, they're the two like 6'5", 195 centimeter uh, giants and movie star. But they talk about that they're twins because <laughs> they look identical. But they talk about Matteo being Danish, his Danish twin. Does he have Danish in him? Ah, I don't actually know, right. uh, but likely. Let's talk about your spring, Magnus, because it takes a lot of riders a little bit of time to get used to cobbles and the particular parkours you get in France and Belgium. But you seem to take to it like a duck to water. You seem to just relish it. Yeah, uh, the cobble races is something that, yeah, is one of the first experiences I had when I came over to do the cremesses in Belgium. I remember, yeah, I landed in Brussels and I got picked up by a friend that was from Isaham and he drives me down the street and he turns to me and he goes, you have to remember this, eh? <laughs> and, he, and I just had, I asked him, like, what's what's the big deal? And there's like this massive statue. And he says, this is where Tour Flanders, Rande van Landren finishes. And he says, one day, I want to see you with your hands across <laughs> finishing, uh, across this finish line first. And I thought, okay, like that was, this is what cycling meant in Belgium and also just yeah, the cycling as a whole. And yeah, a lot of these first races I did were now the roads that we still use uh, in the races now. So Gent-Welgem, E3, Tour Flanders, Roubaix, even Dwarsdor. Uh, a lot of these races I had done like segments of when I was a junior and even before then, like in these cremesses. So I already had like a bit of familiarity uh, and a bit of a flavor of the roads. And it's something that, yeah, I still... I think it's hard to say if any if anyone really enjoys the cobbles, <laughs> but I think it, like I enjoy kind of the just like the grittiness in the races. We even got some uh, cobbles or gravel in Denmark. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a different story. That was like every race seems to want to put gravel in now, yeah. Tom. And this one, in the run up to it, everyone's like, "Oh, it's really bad." Like Dario Cioni, who works for the team, was in the the recon car. And he said something to us like, oh, this should, this should be a mountain bike race or something. This shouldn't be in the race. And we're just thinking, why, why are you telling us that? Just tell her this, this, that it's pretty sketchy and be in there first, you know, because hearing something like that, you're like, holy <laughs> moly, what, what's coming up, you know? I honestly felt like we were just like riding through, like we come up to this road and it's just like, it was at, at okay, there's no big mountains in Denmark, but it was a bit no. of a berg. But then, like, I remember we the road just stopped and, I'm, like, there's a lookout. And then we take this sharp right and it's like we're going down some grandma's garden. Yeah, <laughs> he was right. It should have been in a mountain bike race. But, oh, it was bonkers. But going back to Belgium, though, can you remember the first time you turned up there? Because I remember, like, I'd watched it on the TV as a kid and all these Belgian races. And I remember going out for the first time. 
and almost like it's almost like you go back in time a little because you go to the bar you you bring your coins yeah give you like i don't know three or four euro like deposit and to you got, pick up your number yeah and you got all the old men in the bars just watching the the pros race and like big beer bellies on them and they're all sat like in the uk it's all football rugby isn't it you go in here they're all in there drinking their duval and all this and that left and whatever chatting about the bike race and he's going down these streets that you've sort of seen on the telly and I remember the first time I was there, it just felt so far away from home as well, which is a bit nuts because it's, you know, it's not far at all, is it, to Belgium from Cardiff, but, well, compared to New York. <laughs> so it must have been, how was that? Like, had you seen, had you watched much racing before you actually were doing it or? Yeah, before then I always watched the tour, of course, mm. uh, but I didn't really know too much about like these one day races until I showed up there uh, and raced them firsthand. But I just remember Belgium, like, okay, I had the experience of the northern part of Europe, and so it didn't feel too much of a shock, but... Because the weather in New New York can't be too, uh, it must be yeah, similar. Yeah, but ah, it's similar, like a lot of gray skies, but yeah. that time of year, it was, I came over in the summertime, so it was honestly quite nice. But what I found so strange when I arrived in Belgium was like, all these guys told me, oh, you have to go on the canal, and like, it was outside of Ghent. Yeah. And like, there's these massive group rides that go, I don't know, 50, almost 60K an hour on the canal. And they ride all the way up to Ghent, flip it and go directly down. And I just thought this was so boring. <laughs> like, where's the variety? Mm. It's just so like pancake flat. And that's where I, yeah, that's why I want to start riding these cobbles. So it's like, you have some kind of like interesting bits to the ride because yeah, I couldn't couldn't imagine riding this canal all day yeah and it's good to do that because as we found out when dylan came on the pod tom knowing the roads and knowing what's coming is such an advantage in these races so uh yeah it's good that you were there starting out so soon really because um it goes a long way like even now i i rode them for the good first half of my career and i still struggle to like sort of really remember what's coming up and where you're turning and with the wind and this and that but it's massive advantage in in the classics when you know that what's your memory like magnus because if i think that the classic image of a downhill skier when they're waiting to go through the starting gates they'll often have their eyes shut and they're doing that sort of snaky thing with a hand like they're visualizing every single turn they're visualizing the, the the gates they have to get through are you able to remember anything about the parkours that you go through do you squirrel away these little details yeah in ski racing there's quite a bit of memorization so typically in a slalom or giant slalom, you have two runs. And so you have two inspections as well. And you have a short duration that you can inspect the course. And there's lots of rules and regulations on how you can go about inspecting the course. But I, yeah, I would say it was a skill that I was able to develop from quite an early age of, okay, memorizing the turns. Because also these courses change from race to race and even the run to run. And... It's something that I think I was able to transition or bring with me and use quite a bit in cycling and especially with these courses uh, because it is so important. Like with Dylan, like he said, you need to know these corners because if you're at the back and you don't know quite, okay, left, right, it's so easy to get kind of disoriented uh, and completely lost because a lot of these look quite similar. So I definitely think it's a skill that I have and I almost think sometimes I remember a bit too much. Uh, like when I'm talking to the guys, I say, okay, you know, 
I try to be quite descriptive, like, okay, the pothole, but then you, you also have, like, maybe if there was something strange, like like a fan on the side of the road with, like, an orange jacket or something that kind of stands out, like, to make, like, kind of landmarks when I'm talking to the guys about it, like... But sometimes I think they take the piss and they're like, oh, man, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. But little do they know, like, I do remember these subtle things. So I definitely use that to my advantage. And I can think back, even like I was doing a race, uh, the Junior Tour of Ireland. I had done it two years in a row. And I remember the first year, like, we came down this descent and I knew the finish. It had this, like, short chicane under this, uh, where the train goes by. And the second year I did it, I knew you had to take the entry super easy and I was I was in a breakaway with Quinn and Quinn was in front of me and I'm just thinking, man, like this guy is coming in way too hot. Huh. And sure enough, like he we come around the chicane and he didn't he, he wasn't able to have enough space to yeah, grab the brakes and he just with the momentum he had, he went straight over the hedge. Uh and I was able to win the stage. But <laughs> like these are the things where yeah, it definitely pays off to know to, to know the finishes, know the areas, yeah. know the corners. I had a similar thing to that in Paris-Nice back in like 2015 maybe. And um, me and Richie were up there on GC. Richie crashed. We were descending into Nice um, down a road. We are doing training really off a, a lot. And um, he crashes. So then I was like, oh, that sucks. But it's also kind of quite good for me now because I'm actually in a good position. I, I can maybe take this jersey. And then... We're coming into the last hairpin on this descent. And I was like, these boys are going way too fast. It was wet as well. So I back off. They all overshoot the corner, but they get around it. They're all taking the wide line and they're all just a bit like all over the place, but they get around it. I, you know, 15 meters behind, nice and steady up the inside of the corner. The slipperiest part it happened to be that day. I slap off. They all get around this corner. They've all overshot, but get around it. They swan off up the up the hill and then uh, I'm there with Richie out the back chasing them again then so it definitely helps to know and remember stuff but sometimes you can still end up on your ass like <laughs> we're talking about remembering stuff Magnus let's talk about your win at Rabance because it was such a big one in your in your career his win where Tom you're better pronouncing it G you do it mate I, I don't even know how you're supposed to say it I call it Bramans Peel okay but Let's ask the winner. In the Belgian way, it would be the Brabantsapil. <laughs> the Brabantsapil. The Brabantsapil. That's it. The Brabantsapil. The Broken Arrow, I think it's also known as. Okay. So at this unpronounceable race, Magnus, the weather, <laughs> the weather is filthy, but you are in the league group and there are some big name riders in this. Benoit Cosnefroy, there's Wellens. Was Remco in that group as well? Yeah, yeah. Remco so you got there. some, you got some, got some big old riders and some experienced riders. So how are you playing it? Are you sort of thinking, well, because you had a couple of teammates with you, are you thinking I could be with the chance here? Are you thinking oh, I'm young, I'm just here to to work out how this goes? What was you thinking? Yeah, it was a horrid day to be honest. No, we started just outside of Brussels and then we did this big loop, and I think the weather was actually it started out not so bad once we. St- yeah, once the neutral uh, flag stopped, or yeah, went down. But then it was like we were getting all these time checks or weather checks from the carriers up the road, and they said, yeah, guys, like, you're going to definitely want the rain jacket. Uh, so everyone frantically went back to the cars, and there was a bit of carnage in the caravan. But then, yeah, we came into the the finishing circuit, and there was 
yeah, a lot of tight entries, but we raced we raced it super aggressively. So we put me, Ben Turner, and then also Tom. I think Tom came later uh, with Remco. He bridged across. But then, yeah, Cosnofo was obviously in good form. He was just second, nearly won Amstel, luckily. Yeah. Quieto got him in the bike throw. Uh, and then, yeah, Wellens is someone that has won quite a, quite a lot of races in his career and is quite experienced. And then, yeah, Remco is just... Yeah. You, you made friends with Remco that race, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, he got a... <laughs> yeah, he, you, you have to credit him. He's an incredibly aggressive racer, but sometimes I think it gets a bit ahead of himself or... Uh, yeah, he had, he had tried to shove uh, Ben out of the way. Uh, and I just... Big Ben, who's like... I don't know. How, Twice the size of him. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, "Listen, man, you you don't touch. You touch him one more time, you're not gonna like what happens." Nice. Uh, and sure enough, and sure enough, <laughs> I stayed true to my word. That's the other good thing about Magnus as well. They're like nice as pie off the bike, but when you get in that bike race, he's got a bit of that real sort of uh, racer. Yeah, you need a bit of that, don't you? Good aggression, yeah. you know. Oh, definitely. Ah, uh, but uh, all jokes aside, though. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, it was a day that I still. Yeah, it feels like yesterday, to be honest. In the moment, did I feel like I, I could win on that day? I mean, I felt like we had done, I'd done personally quite a bit in the race. Okay, we attacked early, we really took on the race, and we were hammering up these short climbs. And this addition was also, we had this one sector where there's like maybe a 10 centimeter like gutter that you had to ride up if you didn't want to ride on the cobbles, and it was much, much faster. And we were continuously dropping Remco on this. And I don't know, like, I didn't feel my very best, but like, I was obviously, I always came over the top of these little climbs with a bit of a gap. And then I think it was in the final 10K, we were just rolling through uh, and kind of seeing, okay, how should we play this out with two other guys? Because we had the numerical advantage. That's almost more pressure in itself, knowing like everyone's going to be thinking now, boys, this is yours to lose. It wasn't quite as bad as when. Stannard put three quick step guys away when it was just the four of them. Still one of the funniest videos you can ever watch on YouTube, that. Yeah. But it was like, you know, we had three in a group of what, seven maybe? Yeah. So it was like, it was still a very good advantage. So pressure was on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then... Did you feel that pressure? A bit, to be honest, because, okay, we knew Tom is quick in a sprint. We also knew Ben is very quick in a sprint. But also, like, it, it was a strange finish because you go around this, like, citadel. It's really curvy, slippery, and it's all uphill. So it's a really, yeah, gritty, hard finish. And I think the way we played it out was really good. I mean, we were attacking one by one and making the other guys chase. And it just happened to be, like, where I went. I just had a bit of an acceleration and then it was almost like you didn't even attack, was it? It was kind of like you just ended up drifting off the front, yeah. and then you look back, you got a gap, and you just went a bit harder, 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 and you kind of got that nod on that. <laughs> if you've seen uh, Magnus when he's really going for it, he proper gets a the Magnus nod on, like his. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's like, like it's like if you know if you see me starting to rock and rock back and forth, I'm probably doing <laughs> at least 500 watts. It's like Cycling's version of the Churchill dog, Tom. You know and the back of the cars like yeah yeah nice but yeah so you 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 got that gap and then that was it like yeah and then the directors were just telling me like just go f at full 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 as hard as i could uh and the gap was just getting bigger um the harder i pushed and then it, yeah it, in the final 2k i think i looked back and i still didn't see anyone but i like for sure it was like one of the hardest uh finals of the 
of the of this season to be honest and i was just expecting like oh for sure they catch me like i'm gonna continue on just to make sure in case like they don't and then yeah when i could see the finish line and i still didn't see anyone it was unbelievable there's no better feeling than that is there like you know what that initial bit where you're like oh i'm going like when i won e3 for instance like i went and you get a gap but then for the next sort of so i went with about 4k to go so for the next 3k you're just going full gas and you're just in your mind thinking oh i don't know what what's gonna happen here what's gonna happen and, and you're downing yourself a bit yeah yeah and you just but it's crazy how hard you can actually go and just dig in and like you and you know behind they're definitely not going to be committing as much as this but you still think yeah but they could still catch me but you're just like head down go and then that that feeling then when two three hundred meters before the line you look around you're like actually they are not going to catch me now nice and yeah like this this race for instance Bram and Spiel for people that don't really know is you got Amstel and Liège which are the two biggest Ardennes classics like the they, they're the Hillier classics after the Cobble classics Flanders-Roubaix and it's the the next biggest race really so the third biggest Ardennes classic so it's a big big race so to win that at, how old were you? 20? I was 19 it was actually one of the best birthday presents it was, it was your a, birthday? a few days before the birthday right. but yeah so to be fair yeah it was a uh, unbelievable win really mm. that isn't too shabby at all is it so where do you think you're going to end up then magnus like you don't let this be um you don't have to promise us what sort of rider you're going to be but we've talked about all the different things that you can do what would you like to end up being known for oh that's yeah it's a really hard question that yeah a lot of people have started to ask me that after the season i had because guy okay, got a win in a stage race um uh, the win at Brabant and then also the time trial win. And so I think, yeah, it's difficult because I think there's a lot of different ways that I can go in my career. But yeah, for the time being, I think I'd really like to focus on the classics. Yeah, a bit like how G did. But I would also like to have other ambitions with yeah, the stage races because I also feel like just naturally, I feel like I I don't decay quite as much as others, other riders, especially in the final days of races. Of these stage races but yeah it's i'm not i'm not gonna yeah sit here and say that i i can win the tour or a grand tour i think there's a lot of things that have to go right and uh there's a lot of steps uh f- for that to be possible but i think yeah i'd first like to try race my first grand tour this season and then see 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 how it goes and then yeah eventually why not to try make that a target as well but really i think i just like to take it step by step first with the classics then also with the yeah, races like liege some of the week-long stage races and then eventually kind of uh transition to the grand tours i think that's kind of the best way for him to do it as well tom because well similar to me in a way you know he can concentrate on the classics he's got a good opportunity there with this team then obviously the shorter stage races and then you know as you get older you sort of you lean up a bit you know you get a bit yeah, you just, you develop as a rider, really. You get more efficient and everything. And as I said, he's got a good head on his shoulders already. So, yeah, like I've said in the past that, like, little Ben, Ben Tullett is, you know, a super talent that we've got on the team and he can do a lot and he's, you know, got a big future in Grand Tours. But thinking after, I think um, the sky's the limit for for Magnus as well, really, because, um, yeah, like when I was his age, I, I hadn't even won a race by then um you know i was on the track and things and it's a similar sort of 
pathway almost. And there's no reason why you can't do something in the Grand Tours later on. Just exciting stuff. But just enjoy the racing for now. Just just get stuck in and see what happens. Yeah, that, I guess the, like the only thing I would want to add to that though is um, the time trialing as well. Like I mm. think this is one thing I also really, yeah, I started quite early. I was successful this season. Uh, but I'd really like to continue on also with the time trial focus because I think it is such a weapon uh, to have in an arsenal. And you see like in the in the Grand Tours now, it's so important. Mm. Like Just keep working on that CDA, mate. <laughs> it's all about CDA. Uh, yeah, but you see like with Roglic though, losing the tour to uh, Pogacar uh, in the uphill TT. Yeah, yeah. Your win uh, in Swiss. I think I think you took the jersey. Uh, yeah, I was second going into that stage. Yeah. yeah, won it on the last stage. Yeah, yeah. you see, like the days with uh, Brad and Froomey, uh, it was a big advantage to have a really strong time trial with them. And even now, you see with Pogachar, he can still smash the TT bike. And also, wow, I think yeah, you just see like people think. I don't know. I have this perception where like time trials, people think are boring, but it's really like the most exciting thing in cycling because there's it's. A lot of times, uh, the difference is a matter of seconds, if not fractions of a second, like in ski racing. And yeah, it's just, it's vital, I think, to, for any any top-level cyclist. Mm. How are you at time trialing? Do you any, do, do any Club 10s on the side in the summer when cyclocross is yeah, off? Yeah, I have done a few cheeky Club 10s. The last one I did, uh, there was a little team of us, four of us got together to ride a four-man one, because it's quite a lot of time trialing around the lanes of Cheshire, as you know. And um, it ended in disaster in one of the first corners where someone went over a manhole cover, slid out and uh, cut themselves up. Um, so the rest of us had only done about 2K for full of caffeine at seven o'clock in the evening. <laughs> so I had to go out and get very drunk to try and see off the caffeine. So that was my last time trial. Did you, did, did you carry on or did you wait for him or did you stop? We stopped because he was in a bit of a state, yeah. Uh, I would have carried on, see. Yeah, that's, that's where it went wrong. I've done a tandem 10, actually, with Luke Rowe's dad once. And um, I can't remember what time. I think we did like an 18 something. We were absolutely flying. Who did the most work? I was pushing him along. He was on the front. I was on the back. But I feel like I did most of the work. That's one thing. I, I still haven't done a team time trial in a race. Really? Juniors or... They've gone a bit quiet, haven't they? The old team time trials at the minute. They have. They used to be a classic. Yeah, a yeah it used to be a part of, of most decent Grand Tours. I think once they come back into like the Tour and the Vuelta and stuff... Well, there's a Vuelta TTT this year one there. Yeah. I think that was one of the few. Yeah. But, you know, if it ends up coming back into the Giro and the Tour, that's when loads of other races put them in then to because they know teams are going to want to, well, practice. Yeah. So hopefully they come back soon because we'd have a cracking team for that now. At yeah. the minute, and with this squad, but there was one when you won the tour yeah. in 2018, wasn't it? Was it stage three? Might have been. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say no, but yeah, there was. Yeah. Because if something happened to me, they weren't going to wait for me. That was the call. Yeah. Not that I'm holding a grudge or anything. But... So much controversy to talk about in that tour when your career comes to an end. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, Magnus, as we have discussed, you are from the east coast of the US. You've got an American father and a Norwegian mother. But you do have a name that is very South Yorkshire. So um, to wrap up the chat with you today, we're going to do a brief quiz about the city that is also your surname. Let's play Sheffield on Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> right, Geraint, I'll ask the questions. Uh, this is multiple choice, Magnus. Geraint, do you want to do the multiple choice bit? Yes. Okay. Question number one. The World Snooker Championships are held in Sheffield each spring. Who is the reigning world champion? Is it Ronnie O'Sullivan, Steve Davis, or Terry Griffiths? 
the last one. It's Ronnie O'Sullivan, isn't it, Tom? So unfortunately, Magnus, Terry Griffiths was um, a very good Welsh player, but he peaked in about 1983. Um, oh, significantly, there you go. <laughs> significantly before you Steve were born. Steve Davis isn't playing anymore either, is he? He must be like... He's, he must be 60-ish, yeah. Okay, question number two, Magnus. Sheffield is traditionally famous for producing which of the following? Steel. Oh, okay. Go on, options, please. So, <laughs> plates, cutlery or sofas? Oh, let's go with plates. Oh, how many metal plates do you know, Magnus? <laughs> None. You, you were right with uh, steel, so yep. I, I didn't was... know the answer, but I would have gone cutlery. Because okay. of steel. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Uh-huh. So, Magnus, you have one Magnus, question Magnus. left to try and rescue some dignity in the Sheffield on Sheffield <laughs> quiz. Here is that question. Sheffield is home to two professional football slash soccer teams. The lesser of the two is Sheffield United. The better one is, Geraint? Sheffield Tuesday, Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield Weekend? I've got a good story to this one. <laughs> it's Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. And I know this... And I knew this from when I won in Brabant. It was also a Wednesday. So I think in the Belgian newspaper, ah. they put Sheffield Wednesday. Nice. For the highlight. That's a that's a good... Uh, did you keep that? Did you keep that? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think I have a screenshot of it. Yeah. 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 A I screenshot. Think, there we go. That's it's, kids for you. Yeah, it's a bit of a hard copy, mate. Hard copy. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke in the team, though. I think I almost... I think had I won the last day of Denmark... It also would have been Sheffield Wednesday. Really? Yeah, yeah. Is Sheffield Wednesday the better of the two teams, though, Tom? I thought United were better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no argument from this, Garrett. As someone who supports them, there is no contest. They are very much the superior team, even if the league tables at this precise time would tell you otherwise. <laughs> okay, okay. But neither of them are in the Premier League anymore. Not yet, or but... They haven't, they haven't been for quite some time, that's, I think. That's correct, no. Magnus, yeah. But we, yeah. we dream on. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well quality one out of three not too bad thanks for your time thanks for coming on thanks for having me good luck this year looking forward to doing some more races with you and uh, yeah some more tales from the peloton Tom many more happy Sheffield Wednesdays <laughs> <laughs> yeah cheers <laughs> nice one Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentus back on board as a sponsor for Series 3 of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like you, G, are dedicated to optimising both the mind and body, and they're leading the way for high-performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product. Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which I don't know if you've ever drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave. And it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to PRLotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy.
Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I've been having a go at some dynamic workouts. These use Zwift's terrain to train, so you can hit sprints, smash climbs, and put out steady efforts on the flat, just like you might be used to doing in real life. Just without the stop signs, the traffic, the headwinds, or the fear of blowing up half an hour from home with no food left. It's basically like riding your bike just like you would before indoor trainers. And that to me is pure magic. So if training plans or set intervals are too boring, too intimidating, or maybe just not your thing, go and give Dynamic Workouts a go this week. Right, Tom, what have you got for us on any other business today then? So I think we should start with some shout outs to the latest GTCC domestiques, G, who have signed up for this very important role on Patreon. We're hugely appreciative of your commitment to the club. So a big thank you to Blair Hopcroft, to Kevin Gould, to Nick Bruffle and to Christopher Watkins. And to Charlie Wallace, Alan Mays, Warwick J. Poole and John Goodhead. Legends, all of you. And if anyone else wants to become an official GTCC domestique, just go to patreon.com forward slash GTCC to sign up today. Yeah, for just over a single pound a week, you can get access to bonus content. You can be the first to hear about club news, including merch and live tours. You'll get a discount on the GTCC store. And of course, get a big shout out on the pod, plus lots more. In fact, in February, we're planning our first ever live podcast recording. Me and G will set up as usual online with our guest, and then you as a patron subscriber will be able to log on and watch it all go down live in all its shambolic beauty. Unfiltered, chaotic, me and G making a mess of simple-to-read scripts. Blimey, that's going to be chaotic, isn't it? And also, I saw on Facebook group that Stephen Broadbent, who's from Yorkshire, said he represented the GTCC in the Vancouver Grand Fondo last year in his full GTCC kit. Picks and everything with the medals, so massive well done there, Stephen. You get this, G. He's also said, I received a call that I won a trip to Italy, so now I can go there in my full GTCC kit too. Nice touch. Not bad, that. Not bad. Maybe you can come in May when, um, well, hopefully I'll be riding around Italy as well. Yeah, very much so. And finally, the first GTCC Nottinghamshire midweek ride of 2023 is being organised by Andrew Parks on Thursday the 9th of February with a 9.30am start time. If you'd like to ride with fellow GTCC members in real life, go and check out the Facebook group for more details and to get involved. I've also seen that Neil Gray, the GTCC road captain for Jersey, is also looking to organise a ride. So get involved if you live on that beautiful island. Right, G, time for you to go and have a little rest, I imagine, because you've got some more riding to do in your morning. I will see you next week with more tales of Kiwi adventures. Nice one. See you later. That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social Archie Biltcliffe, and our Honorary President Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Cool.
proud network. A place where you belong. <laughs> 